Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres, narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And one thing that I really have to say um, about success itself is that... um, it's always like the real, you know, wonderful people that become successful and then make a point to build on their success by making other people successful, uh, which is what uh, which is what I got to experience a couple of years ago when I met Mark Coker, who is the CEO of Smashwords. Now, those of you who may not know what Smashwords really is, Smashwords is a, I would say, the best alternative of getting into self-publishing um, that you can possibly that you can possibly get. Um, a lot of people really look to Amazon. What Smashwords does is so much more than what Amazon can provide. And it's something that I'm looking forward to chatting with uh, with Mark today. Um, Mark and I, our paths have crossed a couple of times during the past couple of years. Um, I got to sit, uh, I got to listen to his panels. He's actually gotten to listen to one of mine. And um, Thanks to PenCon, we got we became very friendly, and he actually um, he and Smashwords became uh, were became a big help to me at the 2018 Missouri Writers Guild conference when they um, sent us a whole bunch of lanyards for the uh, for the conference. It's something that I'm always you know very grateful you know to him for. And on year three of PenCon, here we finally are. We finally get to sit down and chat, and it's my pleasure to introduce to you. The CEO of Smashwords, Mark Coker. How are you, Mark? Great, George. It's great to be with you. And it's great to have you here. And um, you are, I can safely say, you are the hero for so many different authors that are out there. Um, not to put any pressure on you. <laughs> but, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like what you, the tool that you have brought to us allows for so much more flexibility in the in the self-publishing world now for those of you who are for those that are not as familiar tell us the main selling factor for smashwords 
Well, why don't we talk about what Smashwords is? Yes. First, um, Smashwords is a free ebook publishing platform. So we make it fast, free, and easy for any writer anywhere in the world to self-publish and sell and distribute an ebook. Yes. So we, um, I started the business eleven years ago, mm -hmm. and you know at the time the publishing industry was almost entirely one hundred percent print centric. All sales of books were in the print format. And um, my wife and I, she became my wife, mm -hmm. my co-author. Uh, we, we, we wrote a novel together. And uh, we wrote a novel about soap operas. I should probably share some backstory on that. Yeah. <laughs> so my wife, my wife is a former reporter for Soap Opera Weekly magazine. And when I met her, and first I was fascinated that there were, was even a journalist job for soap opera reporters. Right. <laughs> um, and I started you know, hearing her stories about what it was like living in Hollywood, going to the sets of the soap operas, interviewing the soap opera actors. And, and the stories were fascinating. And um, you know, the bottom line was that she was basically telling me that the actors were more over the top nuts in their real lives than they were in their soap, soap opera storylines. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. You should write a book about that. She said, well, why don't we write a book together? And I, you know, I, I had always dreamed of writing a book. Yeah. Uh, I, I had actually tried to write a book. I started writing a book after graduating college on how to invest in the stock market. And I only made it into about the first chapter and quit. Mm. I, it was a lot of work. Yeah. And life got in the way and I was busy working. And, um, but I had always wanted to come back to writing a book. Um, it was a, you know, kind of a dream. And then I met my wife, met, met Leslie Ann, and she said, well, why don't we write this book? And I thought, well, soap operas? I've never watched a soap opera in my life. I didn't think very highly of them. I didn't understand them. But I thought, you know, what the heck? That sounds like it'd be a fun adventure. Yeah. And so we um, moved to Burbank, California for a couple months and started interviewing insiders and collecting all their dirt. We interviewed <laughs> actors, actresses hair and makeup stylists, they know all the secrets. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> um, agents, show writers. It was just a fascinating experience to, to learn all these stories. It sounds almost like you, you had the material to kind of make like one of those, um, uh, one of those like um, those history of kinds of story, you know, kinds of books where you can actually do like nonfiction if you wanted to. We, we could have done it as nonfiction, but what I was really interested in from the very beginning was um, understanding what it's like what, what, as an actor or an actress, that kind of performer, and understand getting inside their world. And after hearing some of their stories, the first thing that I was struck by was that, you know, mothers and fathers, don't let your daughters become actresses. Mm. Um, it is a brutal world. You know, as, you know, Americans, we tend to look up to celebrities yeah. You know, we, 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 we care about, you know, we'll read cover stories in People Magazine or Us on, you know, the diet secrets of the stars. Right. But what you don't know is that often that diet secret involves starvation, cocaine, <laughs> um, you know, stomach stapling. Uh, it, what we learned is that it's really kind of a meat grinder. Yeah. What these actors and actresses go through and I found myself just feeling very sympathetic for the, their plight and because it's so cutthroat yeah um, and especially for the women it was it was 
the the, the experience of being a, a an actress mm-hmm. is really dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, what they have to do to themselves to even get the job, um, you know, that we ended up titling the book Boob Tube <laughs> because breasts are so much of a big part of soap operas and we found stories where in a single soap opera one actress would get a boob job and then the other actresses just to compete against her would get boob jobs oh wow and uh, and then and then the original actress who got her boob job she'd get another one to make them even bigger and we <laughs> we referred to these just amongst ourselves as like boob wars i mean this is yeah this is insane. Mm-hmm. And we, we heard stories of young actresses in their 20s getting preventative facelifts. There was a story of um, a, a, an actress um, whose manager uh, wanted her to get a boob job. Right. And she didn't have the money to pay for it. So he paid for it. And then she got the boob job. And then um, after she got the job, boob job done, the manager said, let me see them. She said, no, I'm not going to let you see them. Right. And he raped her. These are, these are true stories. This is what's going on. And, and most people don't really know what the dark underbelly of celebrity culture is and, and what these actors and actresses do. And I came to really respect the work that they do. These actors yeah. are the hardest working, working actors in the world. You know, they, they might have 50 pages of lines to learn every single day. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, these are smart people yeah. um, with really difficult jobs. And, you know, I, prior to researching this, you know, there was a, in my mind, I, there was a stigma associated with yeah. soap operas. You know, I kind of looked down upon them like, silly silly stupid stuff that right. i wouldn't ever watch myself but after learning about the industry uh, you know i just really respected the people that were in it and you know also felt sorry for the the, the actors the yeah. performers and what they have to go through just to keep their jobs um but it, it was a fascinating experience so after collecting all of this dirt yeah uh, of stories uh, we moved to a cabin Uh, in Vermont for four months. So a friend of mine said, hey, I got a cabin in Vermont. You can use it for free. And so, wow, it's fantastic. It was, (laughs) it was absolutely fantastic. And, and and so we, we didn't know anything about writing a book, right? But we had all of these stories that we collected from these nearly 50 interviews. And we decided we were going to turn it into a novel. We were going to fictionalize it and embellish it and, you know, create composite characters. And, and see where it goes. And, you know, over the course of four months, we plotted everything out and um, we would sit down on the couch every morning with our laptops and we would write out our assigned chapters. Wow. And at the end of the day, we'd switch laptops <laughs> and edit each other. And that was also fun. Yeah. And <laughs> to see what, what Leslie Ann had written and for her to see what I had written and the experience of just writing a novel, yeah. um, you know, you know this. And oh, yeah. it, it's, it is a mind-bending, amazing, intense experience that only a writer can understand. Yeah. It, stuff comes out of your imagination that is just amazing. Yeah, and, and now and, all of a sudden it exists on yes. a piece of paper. Yeah. In print, and, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I wrote the scenes of, um, of this evil manager. Yeah. And... I shocked myself at 
like the things that I was able to bring to this character and yeah. the, the sadistic violence, because I'm not a sadistic violent no, person. No, no. <laughs> um, and I remember handing the laptop to my wife and she got to that scene and she looked at me and her mouth was just agape. Oh, she yeah. was thinking, what did I marry? Yeah. Where did this come from? <laughs> um, but, you know, I was just trying to imagine the violence of that situation. And, yeah. you know, I wrote that and... Um, so it was a wonderful experience writing this this book with my wife. Um, I know a lot of people say it's difficult to write with you know wives, husbands, friends, but mm-hmm. we just clicked so well. Um, you know, when I look at the book now, um, I, it's difficult to remember what I wrote and what she wrote because we edited it and rewrote it so many times that it really became one voice. It was yeah. a lot of fun, and and so we. After we'd finished writing the book, you know, we hired a book doctor to help us edit it. We did multiple revision rounds. When it was finally in shape, uh, we started pitching it to literary agents in New York. We were lucky enough to get offers of representation from two different top tier literary agents. Wow. And we got to interview them and decide which one we wanted and which one we were going to reject. Oh, that's the dream Um, right there. It it was a good position to be in. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, we, we found a great agent. He was excited about our project. And, and, you know, the way an agent works is they're working on spec. Yeah. You know, they're hoping to make this book as successful as they can. And so for an entire year, he shopped the book around to publishers and no publisher wanted to touch it. Right. And it it was really difficult for him to get feedback um, from the publishers. Um, But he gave us some initial feedback and we did a complete revision and he loved the revision. And so he shopped it again. Wow. We went back to all the publishers and sent it to them again because he was still excited about it. Yeah. But finally, he couldn't get anyone to bite. And the only feedback we got from the publishers was that prior novels that targeted soap opera fans had failed commercially. Hmm. And so none of them were willing to take a chance. We weren't writing in a category that was hot. Right. And as you might imagine, it was soul crushing to, to have our dream stolen from us we thought it was so close you know once we got the agent because you know we had heard and read in our research that it's more difficult to get an agent than a publisher you know it that it can it can be yeah it can be it can be you know depending on you know like what the what frame of mind like the agent is in you know like if uh, if you just happen to befriend them you know right then and there and and they are able to basically say that they're ready to invest in you and not as you know like in either like instead of or in spite of or anything like the project, you know, then all of a sudden you have something a little bit more concrete there. You know, like if the agent, all the agent knows is just the material, which is what, you know, you guys had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, to be able to get that is fantastic. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so here we were, you know, after two years, we finally had, you know, we had the come to Jesus meeting. Right. The agent called the meeting and said, look, you know, I have, done everything that I can do. And I'm afraid that, you know, we've reached the end of the road. Mm. You know, I'm not going to be able to sell it. But he said, "Um, I think you should consider self-publishing. And then he told us the story of another one of his clients for whom he couldn't sell her book. Yeah. Uh, She had written, uh, it was nonfiction, I think. And um, she self-published after he couldn't sell. And over the course of the year, she sold 2,000 copies of her book, self-publishing. Very nice. And yeah. then she took the book back to our agent, and he was able to go back to the publishers and sell it in a week. Wow. 
and it's because he she had proven she proved that there was a commercial market yeah you know if a self-published author you know selling books out of the trunk of her car can sell 2,000 copies then you know publishers should be able to sell you know 100,000 or whatever yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he made that recommendation to us and I thought about it in fact I'd by that time, I'd already read uh, Dan Pointer's book on self-publishing. Oh, yeah. And um, I thought about it, but self-publishing didn't seem satisfying to me because I didn't like the idea of, of filling our garage with thousands of unsold copies. That's, and, and, that's the old stigma with yeah. self-publishing. Yeah, it's, and, it's something that, you know, right. that people were thinking, you know, especially like around that time when it came to self-publishing. That basically meant that you were getting a catalog from Ex Libris. Yeah. And getting phone calls from salespeople at two in right. the morning. So right, yeah, yeah. I realized that without access to bookstores, yep, um, you weren't going to sell any books, and yeah. the only way to get into bookstores was to get a publisher. So although self-publishing sounded interesting, print self-publishing did not. And so I, you know, I thought about this problem, and the more I thought about it, you know, I, I, I started thinking about. You know, I imagined hundreds of thousands of other writers just like us around the world who had a dream of publishing a book. And those authors were going to go to their graves unpublished simply because a publisher was unwilling or unable to say yes to them, to take a chance on them. Yeah. And I thought, this is wrong because this was, at the, you know, this was 15 years ago now, um, almost 15 years ago. So blogging had just started hitting hitting the scene in a really big way. Right. Um, and YouTube had hit the scene in a big way. And I thought, if anyone can self-publish with a blog and achieve, you know, uh, reach a large audience, if anyone can reach a large audience self-publishing a video on YouTube, why can't people self-publish a book? And so I thought about it and I thought, well, I understand that print books are just way too expensive. Yeah. There's too much cost involved to to produce, print all the bits of glue and paper and cardboard that needs to be shipped to a bookstore. And then you know, most of those books or a lot of those books end up being unsellable and then they get shipped back to the publisher. And I thought, you know, there's something wrong here, but what if we look at digital books? And so I started researching that. Yeah. And, and you know, at the time that I first had this idea, digital books accounted for like, it was like one eighth of 1% of the overall book market. But I looked really closely at the data and I saw that the market was still growing. Yeah. It was just so far below anyone's radar. Which is insane if you think about it now. Like now, you know, nowadays it's just like it's gargantuan. But Yeah, now it's it's massive. Yeah. But I don't know if you remember, but if you if you remember back in the late 90s, mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of buzz about ebooks. And ebooks came on the scene in a fairly big way and people were predicting that they were going to replace print books. Really? And you had, you know, the wow. first generation ebook reading devices came out and ebooks completely flopped. They just You know what? I think flopped. I kind of remember that. Just now, you know, like at first I was just like, oh, "Wait a minute. I thought the, that it was like late 2000s." But now that I think about it, I could have sworn like it was the some, 90s. Yeah, it was it didn't they have like discs or something that Oh yeah, there was CD <laughs> Books on CD-ROM, right? Yeah, um, and you know, big clunky e-reading devices that were too expensive, really complicated um, copy protection schemes that made the book really unfriendly. Yeah, and you so, and they basically like they showed the readers, if I remember correctly, like they showed the readers in like catalogs in airplanes. You know, like that's that's yeah. the sort of market that they were going for, like kind of the sharper image kind of kind yeah. of market. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so ebooks completely flopped back then. But there was a very small number of people that were still absolutely enthusiastic about ebooks and mm-hmm. stuck with ebooks. About the possibility. About the possibility of yeah. ebooks. And so I'm, I'm looking at the data and I see, you know, so it grew, it's, you know, as I'm working on the business plan, it took me a couple of years working on the business plan. You know, I saw the market go from one eighth of 1% to one quarter of 1% to one half of 1%. Yep. It was like, whoa, this market is growing. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, well, if I project out, you know, maybe 10 years, eventually the market might be 5%. Right. But that's <laughs> and, still, that's a great and, chunk right there. Yeah. Yeah. And so we launched in early 2008. And for 2008, ebooks accounted for about one half of 1% of mm-hmm. 1%. Um, and it, as it turned out, our timing was really great because it, right just a few months before we launched, uh, Amazon launched the Kindle. Yep. And Sony had already been on the market with the Sony Reader, and they were achieving success with the Sony oh, Reader. Oh, yeah. So yep. Sony, Sony you know, helped pioneer this before even Amazon. But yeah. Amazon came out with an amazing device um, that was low cost, mm-hmm. that was promoted aggressively on their homepage for months and months. Yep. Amazon got behind it in a big way. Um, and finally, the publishers got behind ebooks. And so we saw these ebooks coming. And then with with Smash, the same time we launched Smashwords, just a couple months earlier, Amazon had, unbeknownst to me, was when I was working on the business plan years earlier, yeah. Amazon did something similar to what we did, a self-publishing platform, but only to get your books into their store. Yeah. Um, so we we launched at a really good time, and then shortly after that, you know, Barnes and Noble got into eBooks in a big way. With the Nook, yeah. Um, Kobo entered the market yep. with their reader with an international focus. So that and in so for that that first year was two thousand eight. Yeah. By the end of that first year, we were publishing um, one hundred and forty books from ninety authors, and I was thinking, wow, wow this is amazing. 90 authors, almost 100 authors have entrusted their precious books to us. Yeah. But on a good day, it, we were only selling about $10 worth of books. Oof. And our commission, that we only make money if the book sells, and our commission's only about 10%. Right. And at the time, so for all of 2008, we were only selling the books in the Smashwords store. Yeah. So we were bringing in, we were netting a whopping $1 a day wow. in this business was burning a $10,000 a month hole in my pocket. Because oh. <laughs> I was the sole funder of Smashwords. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm, I was very thankful at that time. Well, I had mixed feelings. Number yeah. one, um, I knew that I, I did not have limitless funds and I was right. losing $10,000 a month. I yeah. was basically mortgaging my future mm-hmm. here. Um, Borrowed money on my house. I don't recommend anyone do that. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I was also, you know, passionate about this idea. And then the, the next year, 2009, I had an epiphany. Yeah. I realized that readers are not going to go to smashwords.com to look for a book. No one's ever heard of smashwords.com. Readers go to bookstores to buy books. Right. And I thought, well, how can we get our books into the major bookstores? And I looked around and I, I realized that... There were distributors yeah. that worked with publishers that would get books into stores, but none of these distributors were interested in self-published books. Yeah. And I thought, well, what if Smashwords could become an ebook distributor? What if we could become, you know, the big distributor at the time was Ingram, and they're still the world's yeah. largest distribu- book distributor. And I thought, well, what if Smashwords could become the Ingram 
of self-published ebook distribution. Oh wow! And what I remember telling my my sole employee, our engineer Bill, <laughs> this idea and that we could become the Ingram of 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 ebook self-publishing, and we both laughed. It was an absurd <laughs> idea. Right. We didn't know anything about distribution, mm-hmm. not to mention that we knew that there was this tremendous stigma associated with self-published books. And I thought, you know, no retailer is going to want self-published books. But I had conversations uh, with Barnes & Noble and Sony, and yeah. to my surprise, both of them wanted all of our books. Wow. And I had to say, wait a second, you don't want all of our books. You know, these books are self-published. They haven't been, many of them have not been professionally edited. Let's at least set some certain standards. So we set standards for at least the layout and the formatting. Right. Um, once our books got into stores, they started selling. And then, uh, so that was the light bulb moment that, yeah, you know, I can make this business work. But two years after that. Yeah. Um, a year and a half after that, entering distribution, although our sales were ramping up really nicely, we were still losing money. And I had tapped out all my savings and I was looking at our finances and we were going to run out of money in about three months. Oof. And I was predicting it'd probably take at least another year to hit profitability. Right. Um, so I did what every desperate person does. I picked up the phone and I called my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, Mom, do you want to invest in Smashwords? <laughs> <laughs> and I can still hear her voice today. It, it, she said, oh, Mark, that sounds so risky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I'll lend you the money. Yeah. So I borrowed money from my mom. But then my dad said, no, you're not just going to give him the money. This needs to be written up with paperwork and a mortgage. And you're going to he's going to have to give you a loan on his rental house. <laughs> so I thought, OK, well, if I had if no that's choice. what it, that's what it comes to. Yeah, yeah my yeah. my sole banker <laughs> was requiring that I sign this paperwork. But that I did that. And that kept us afloat. And we ended up hitting profitability about three months later and then. Um, you know, the rest is history. 11 yeah. years later, we're still in business. Yep. Um, it, this is a tough business to be in. I got to be real, real straight with you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Publishing. This is not a business to enter. If you're looking to make a lot of money, it's really tough. Yeah. And, and uh, made all the tougher by some of the players in the business. But it, it's, it's been an amazing experience. And, you know, when I first came up with the idea for Smashwords, you know, I thought, you know, most of our books probably aren't going to sell well, but you know, if only a small fraction of, of our authors can have a chance to, or if our authors can only have a chance to be judged by readers, yeah. that some small percentage of them are going to find an audience and become, you know, bestsellers. I had faith that that would happen. Right. And that is what happened. So a lot of our, you know, some small percentage of our authors started selling really well. It was the romance authors who started selling uh, the, the, the best early on. And... Um, the success of the romance authors inspired other authors to recognize that, yeah, you know, you can self-publish professionally with pride and with commercial success. Yeah. And the success of the romance authors inspired authors in other genres and categories to start self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's been great to, you know, those very first authors that came to Smashwords, these were authors that couldn't get an agent, couldn't find a publisher, 
basically the industry had told them your book is worthless to us right and we gave them a chance and some of these authors went on to become usa today and new york times bestsellers and so that that's really exciting to me when i look back at the last 11 years um, it's been great giving writers the opportunity to have their work judged by readers uh, and, and to bypass these gatekeepers who were making decisions that weren't necessarily in the best interest yeah. of book culture right. or uh, or readers. Just following trends. They're just yeah. trying to follow trends. They're tracing trends. And it, it's dangerous to trace trends, chase trends, because by the time you're chasing the trend, the trend's it's already passed. over. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the story of, you know, how we got started and, um, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, yeah, and and just the fact that you're here, you know, like that's that means so much. By the way, um, those of you who who don't know, this is yet another episode um, of Excelsior Journeys taking place at PenCon 2019. So a big shout out to Rick and Amy Miles for this for all for all of this happening. Now, how did you get involved with with Rick and Amy? Well, Amy is an author on Smashwords, yeah. and um, she was one of our early bestsellers. Back in 2010, 2011, she was at the top of the charts and one of our bestsellers and wow. doing really well at our retailers. Our retailers were excited about her and giving her lots of merchandising and support. And um, so I, I met Amy through that experience and, you know, supporting her and helping to, like, elevate her stature to the retailers so she could sell more books and met Rick through that and then they started PenCon and so we just kind of came together and really gelled. Uh, Rick and Amy are amazing people. They really are. And, and they really care about people and um, you know they they're doing this entire event for charity. Yeah. For autism which is just more icing on the cake for their awesomeness. Yep. Um, but also just you know the vibe of the conference here. They're, they're here to support writers, to help writers realize their dreams. Yep. They love books. Writers love books. Readers <laughs> love books. It, it, so it's been a wonderful conference. I've been coming every year now. Every year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is, this I, is my I, third I think, time around. So yeah. Um, this is a, this their fifth this or is sixth six years. This sixth is number year. six. Okay. Yeah. So I only missed one year. Oh, wow. So far. Very nice. Yeah. So like, and I, I've said this to, you know, to other people before, how Rick and Amy have been able to tap into such a voracious reader community is beyond me. It's it, it's just amazing because, it, guys, if you have ever been on the floor, on either of the, the ballroom floors at PenCon, it is like the stock exchange. Just like people are running through, you know, like going to all these different book, you know, these different uh, different tables. They're walking out with wagons filled with books. Yes, it's, readers are buying wagons full of books. Yes, it's and it's wonderful. It absolutely renews your faith in in, uh, in reading. In reading, you know, like and and writing, you know, it's it's just a great vibe to be around. So. Um, so you have so there's the so I see I recognize like the writing part of it, so that's that's definitely like a great lightning bolt moment for you know for, and you know getting Smashwords going as an author. Now there's a lot more that goes into that realm, the technology of it and everything. How did you get involved in that part? So my background is Silicon Valley. I'm born and bred in Silicon Valley. You know I'm the son of an engineer 
that used to work at IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is the guy that invented, along with a team of about four other uh, engineers, they invented the uh, magnetic strip that's on the back of your credit card. No kidding. <laughs> yes. And wow. So that was at IBM, and that was in the 60s. And I remember growing up in the 60s and seeing the, the prototype cards all, laying all around the house. Um, they initially did that job. Um, it was work that they were doing for, for BART in the Bay Area, Bay Area Rapid Transit. Okay. They created the tickets for that, and that's how they did the magne- ma- magnetic strips on those cards. You're welcome, uh, shoppers. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> you can thank IBM. Right. Uh, yeah. So, that it, you know, my dad was always an inventor. Yeah. And, and, you know, after several years working at IBM, he quit IBM to start his own company. And so while I was in high school, um, he created this invention. He, so he, he quit IBM. Yeah. And so suddenly money was tight in the family. Mm-hmm. And us kids were pretty bad about leaving the lights on in the house. No, yeah. <laughs> it really upset my dad. He said, that's costing us $50 a year in electricity. Wow. <laughs> and so he invented a solution to that. He, he invented a solid state light switch timer that plugs into the same socket as a regular light switch, but it has a third position, which is a timer position. And you'd install this in attics and closets so that lights don't get left on accidentally. Oh, man. And... Um, I remember, in, well, so this was happening in high school. Yeah. Um, often, many evenings after dinner, we would gather around the kitchen table and he'd pull out these soldering irons and we would assemble these solid state light switch timers. Oh, wow. And it was, for me, it was just fun. Yeah. It was inspiring. Uh, and I, I've always been an entrepreneurial since a kid. I mean, when I was six years old, I was selling my chickens' eggs door-to-door. Really? Yeah. When I was in Cub Scouts, I was doing selling all that stuff so you could get the little... Little prizes. merchandise. Oh, yeah. Little, yep. Little oh, yeah. silly things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I was, what my dad was doing was really inspiring. Yeah. And he ended up selling that company mm-hmm. uh, and getting kind of screwed yeah. in the process, but he'd never sold a company before. Mm. Um and then, so, but it was all still a really neat experience to see that. And um, so in high school, I just, I, you know, I started to fall in love with business. I started reading Forbes Fortune in the Wall Street Journal in high school. I was kind of an odd kid. Wow. <laughs> um, but it was fascinating to me. And I opened up a Charles Schwab account in high school. This is back when in high school. This is back when they would let a 16 year old with zero investing experience create a stock market account. That is is amazing. Like that's Uh, yeah. My first kudos to Schwab for doing that. By the way, back then they're not going to let you do that anymore. Yeah, Yeah, I was probably one of their first clients. Mm -hmm. And my first investment was three hundred dollars. In a coal company. <laughs> I thought coal is the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really the future. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, and I just, I just started just devouring those business magazines. And I was especially fascinated by stories of, you know, how entrepreneurs would overcome hardships. I was just reading every story. I mean, if it was a story about a potato chip company and how they overcame hardships, there was yeah. something for me to learn in that. And... So during high school, I took a class at the local community college. I wanted to find out about marketing. I took a marketing class. Right. And that just kind of blew my mind. I was fascinated by marketing. 
after taking that class. So I thought, okay, I want to go to business school. Yeah. Or study economics or something. So I, I, I was kind of silly. Um, this was, in retrospect, this was stupid. But, you know, my, both of my parents went to UC Berkeley. Okay. I was actually born there. Right. While they were still students. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, you know, my parents never pressured me to go to college. Um, but it just seemed natural that that's what I would do. And I was interested in business. And I heard Berkeley had one of the best economics programs. So I only applied to Berkeley. Wow. Which was crazy with a GPA of about 3.0. Right. <laughs> Uh, but by some miracle, I got accepted. Yeah. And I was, I was certain I was going to flunk out mm -hmm. because the only other people from my high school that made it there were like straight A students that were all the brainiacs. Right. Um, but Berkeley was a huge challenge for me. I had to work really hard and, um, you know, I did pretty well. And they have a two-year business program. So after your freshman and, and sophomore year, you can apply to join their two-year business program. And so I went on that track got accepted to the business school, graduated with a degree in business. Um, before I graduated, my father started another company. Really? Yes. And this time it was a software company. And I, I, I was never interested in technology. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had no interest in software, but I did have an interest in starting companies. And I thought, well, okay, this sounds a lot of fun, like a lot of fun what he's doing. And on a lark, he printed up business cards for me that said, Mark Coker, Vice President of Marketing and Sales. Oh, okay. And I was like, wow, you know, I've got this card and mm -hmm. I've got this big title and I'm here I am in my dorm room and right. I'm his VP of Marketing. And my job was to make the phone ring so we could sell software. Oh. But I, did, I didn't know anything about selling software and, and, and my dad didn't give me a marketing budget. Right. So how am I supposed to make the phone ring? And so I thought, well, maybe if we could get press coverage, maybe if the trade journals would write reviews about our software, or write stories about our software. Okay. So I started, you know, I went to the university library. I started picking up these trade magazines, like MIS information systems, things you've never heard of, things that aren't in print anymore. Yeah. And I just started. They're all like industry. You know, yeah, thing, industry like trade magazines. Yeah. And I'd call the reporter say, hey, you want to review our software? And, and, and I remember calling this one reporter, and I'll, I'll never forget him. His name's Russell Lockwood. I think he lives in New Jersey. Um, he said, well, that sounds interesting. Why don't you send me a press release? I said, what's a... He said, send me your press kit. Mm -hmm. I said, what's a press kit? I didn't know what a press kit was. He said, well, it, it'll include a press release and data sheets. And I said, well, what's a press release? Right. I mean, I was completely clueless. Yeah. And and he was generous enough with his time to just Walk answer these, yeah. these newbie questions. That's great. And, and 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 so, you know, I learned how to write a press release. Yeah. And I, we learned how to write data sheets. They were probably horribly done, but we did what we could. And mm -hmm. we'd send our press kits out. And, and over the course of a couple of years, I think I got him... I landed him probably about 30 stories in, you know, the big trade journals at the time. Yeah. You know, PC Magazine and Personal Computing and PC Week and InfoWorld. Um, but even on a good month, 
we were only selling about $3,000 worth of software. And my arrangement with my dad was that I would get a 10% commission on everything I sold. Oh, okay. So a couple of years into this job with my dad, mm -hmm. I was basically living on my credit cards. Yeah. There's $20,000 in debt because his company wasn't taking off. And then I had a conversation with him you know, about, this is what we need to do to grow the company. And he said, well, we don't want to do that. We'd have to hire people. Ah, yeah. See, my dad's an engineer. Yeah. He doesn't want to manage people. He wants to invent. Mm -hmm. And so we had a little bit of disconnect there. Here I had dreams of building the next Microsoft. Right. And, and he had dreams of, you know, tinkering. And so, you know, I decided it was time for me to leave. <laughs> leave with $20,000 in debt right. and find a job. And it was um, during the... Um, it was during the, the, the first Gulf War, okay. which was also during a recession. Yeah. And I, I didn't really know what skills I could point to. I ended up getting a job at IBM working in manufacturing. I was assembling mainframe hard disk drives. Wow. So this is a nice. total blue collar job. Yeah. And it was so much fun. Yeah, I it's almost it. like you're right back at the at the dining room table. Yes, you know? I was. Yeah. I was building things with my hands. Right. And I always thought that, you know, when I start my company, it's going to be something that we build, something real and tangible. Yeah. Um, now, you know, the practical side of me, you know, there I am working this job at IBM. Um, all of all of my fellow co-workers are like barely graduated from high school. Yeah. And my college degree was worthless there um, and it was so much fun but I thought you know I should probably apply to graduate school that seems like the thing to do and so I applied to a bunch of grad schools and so there I'm working in at IBM and I get accepted to Carnegie Mellon I thought well this is neat but yeah. <laughs> I'm really enjoying my blue-collar job here this I mean I just really loved building these hard drives yeah and so i i said no to carnegie mellon also saves you the you know the debt and everything you know, like, i wasn't i wasn't thinking about that too yeah. much um i was thinking you know because carnegie mellon had this really great entrepreneurship program and that's what ah, i wanted to do okay yeah and i thought you know find the money some way and so i go into debt mm -hmm. um you know with loans so i'll get a good job after yeah um about a month after I said no to Carnegie Mellon, IBM laid me off. Oh, man. So here I am in the middle of this recession. Yeah. There are very few jobs in Silicon Valley. And I'm thinking, okay, what can I point to that I've been successful at? And I right. thought, well, I was successful at PR working for my dad. So I thought, well, why don't I apply to PR agencies? And Makes sense. Yeah. Um, after a couple of months of looking, I got a job at, at one of the top PR agencies in, in Silicon Valley. Turned out to be a total sweatshop. Mm. Over the course of the one year and nine months that I worked there, they had more than 100% turnover of their 20 employees. Wow. It was just a horrible place to work. I remember my first week on the job um, seeing employees like driven to tears by the, uh, our abusive bosses. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a crazy environment, but my bosses for the most part left me alone cause I kept my clients happy and I really enjoyed working with my clients. And the first client they gave me was a storage company, a hard disk company. Ah, there you go. <laughs> and so that became my thing. And it's I like had, your bread and butter almost. Yeah, like, you yeah. never know, you know the, the, these, 
the most menial jobs you have in life yeah. are going to come back and be valuable to you in the future. Yeah. Um, so it was really, so I became like the storage guy at our agency and then got into security, computer security. And then mm -hmm. after a year and nine months, I thought, okay, this environment is too abusive. I'm going to leave and start my own agency. Wow. I knew nothing about starting a PR agency. I knew nothing really about starting my own company. You know, yeah. I didn't know how you do the finances or how you set up a company and all that stuff. Um, but I just did it. I thought, you know, all I need to do is get one client. And if I can make that client really happy, then I'll get more clients. And that's yeah. generally my approach. Right. Um, most of my family members were not supportive of me doing this, but I did it, got that one client, uh, that client became more clients, and eventually, you know, we became, I won't say we're one of the largest agencies, but, you know, we grew to 12 people, and we were one of the top 20 PR agencies uh, in San Jose, according to the San Jose Business Journal, according to our revenues. So we, we had our moment in the sun and success, and that was fun. And working in PR was great because uh, my job was to make our clients famous. Yeah. So I was working directly with the CEO and with the VP of marketing. So here I am, this 20-something-year-old kid. Yeah. I remember getting off the phone the first time where I laid out my own shingle and I was a, running my own PR agency. And I get off the phone with this guy who just sold his company to McAfee for $10 million. Wow. And I just like laid on the floor and I couldn't believe this guy, this super accomplished guy, is asking me for my advice. Right. And I was just a sponge. I learned so much working with these top executives and brilliant, brilliant people learn so much. And, and, you know, in PR, you're working with a variety of different clients. So you, you see what's working, what's not, and lots of different technologies. Um, so that was a great experience. It was during that, you know, but, you know, almost 15 years later, around the time that Leslie Ann was hired when we were like trying to grow yeah. right before the dot-com bubble burst on us. Right. Um, you know, I, I was getting a little bit burnt out on PR. And then when the dot-com bubble burst, that was just devastating. We lost probably 70% of our business over the course of three or four months. Wow. It was like a nuclear It really did, hit. just like when that happened. Like it, it's something that... You you just kind of like look back and you know and just kind of remember just like wait a minute I remember you know like there were all these different smaller companies and everything that were all doing all these different different things you know like and all of a sudden just gone yeah like just that uh, was it the pets dot com yeah you know, like see that you know like with the the sock puppet you know the yes. the, the, the puppet with the microphone gone one of the, my favorite uh, one of my favorite things that I remember from um, when I was living in New York Urban Fetch. It was just yeah. like this great delivery service yeah. and everything that would deliver all types of things, even like DVDs and CDs and everything. Like gone, you know. Like yes. so, it's amazing just like how quickly all of that went. It went really quickly. Um, the the the, you know, during the '90s, things got too heated. Yeah. Uh, and you had too much hype. You had too much money flowing into these companies. The stock market was booming. Yeah. Venture capitalists, Silicon Valley is the center of venture capital. They were just throwing money at everything like pets.com and right. Webvan and yep. the, Webvan, know, yep. the grocery delivery service. Yep. Um, and then the dot-com bubble burst. It really was like a nuclear winter in Silicon Valley. And all the companies had to cut spending. 
and the first folks that get cut are the contractors, the PR agency, because you right. don't you don't have to pay severance or anything. You just say sorry, your contract's over. Yeah. So we were the first to get cut. That and so that was really tough. Um, but it was also around that time that the bubble burst that I met Leslie Ann, and she presented this idea of doing uh, writing this novel together. And I thought, you know, I'm ready for to do this. This is a dream and it's not really the path I expected to take, but this sounds like fun. And, yeah. And so we did it and it was an amazing experience. But it was thanks to my Silicon Valley experience that when I was presented with this problem, this challenge that you've got this, you know, when publishers wouldn't publish us. Yeah. And I imagine this problem, um, you know, it's my Silicon Valley experience that really led me to the solution because one thing about Silicon Valley, it, part of the culture there is this idea um, that technology offer can offer the solution to all the world's problems. Mm -hmm. And in the 90s, we saw a lot of problems being solved. And, yeah. and that kind of reinforced this idea. We hadn't seen the dark side of technology yet as we've seen now. Right. Um, but that's, I mean, that's really like, I mean, the dark side of technology happens because of the dark side of humanity. Yes. It's, you know, technology is the tool that humanity makes happen. I, so, I agree 100%. Yeah. But, you know, so here I approach this problem with my Silicon Valley idealism. Yeah. That, you know, here's a problem that could be solved by technology. And I'm not a programmer. Mm -hmm. I've tried to learn programming. I suck at programming. It's just not my skill. Right. Um, even though my brothers are programmers, my dad's a programmer. I just, I'm not, I'm missing that gene. Yeah. Um, but I've taken enough programming to know how to speak with programmers mm -hmm. and respect them and work with them. And, and, and so, you know, I... I thought, okay, here's a here's an opportunity where we can we could create, use technology to create a free publishing platform. Yeah. You know, the, the paper is digital, so it's right. digital bits and bytes. So no overhead. We'll create yeah. the technology so that all you have to do is upload your word processing file, and then we'll convert it into multiple ebook file types. Yep. And if the book sells, great. It, it will will make our ten percent. If it doesn't sell. It didn't cost us anything to print that book. Mm -hmm. So that that's kind of the, the, what, what was going through our, our my mind at the time. Now, one of the things that I have I've noticed, I've experienced, you know, like from um, do you know from working with Smashwords because that was actually where I uploaded um, I uploaded my first book, Excelsior. My first, uh, my first book that was eligible for an ebook. I need mm -hmm. to just rephrase that because the First, first book was the 2002 edition of From Parts Unknown, which, you know, like that was never, that was never made into an ebook. And thankfully that was never made into an ebook because, um, but at the, at the same time, like, I mean, I've told that story several times before, but, um, but I was happy, I was thrilled to work with Smashwords when I uploaded Excelsior to it because you guys offered so m many great opportunities for people to really discover their books. Those of you who, you know, like who haven't used Smashwords yet, what it does is it not only it not only allows you to um it not only allows you to, you know, cr uh, create the you know, give you an ebook in different formats, but you can get it on all the different platforms. You can get it on Amazon, you can get it at Barnes & Noble, you can get it on iTunes. 
You can get it as a PDF. You can get it on Kobo. You can get it all over the place. And that allows so much opportunity for so many people to discover you. And that's something that I feel was a real was a real benefit. You know, yeah, to that me. was the big big challenge that needed to be tackled back then, ten years ago, eleven years ago, is that um, self published authors were denied access yeah. to retail. So denied the opportunity to be discovered and judged by readers. Right. But what we found is that thanks to ebooks, ebooks enabled every retailer to start carrying every book. Yep. Um, once those books started appearing side by side with the books from traditional publishers and readers could actually look at it and judge it for themselves and read it, uh, those books, many of those books started yeah. selling and people realized that uh, maybe publishers aren't as um, omniscient as, as, I don't know if that's the right word, um, as we thought. Yeah. You know, maybe they aren't the the The, the, the only be all ones. end all. Yeah. 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 Because there was this attitude you know, 10, 11 years ago, that only publishers had the divine wisdom to identify which books were worthy of publication. Right. Um, but the, the dirty little secret in publishing is they don't really know. Yeah. They apply their best educated guess, but only, you know, readers will determine what becomes a bestseller. And often the reader doesn't know what they want to read until it slaps them upside the head. Yeah. You know, it's these black swans that come out of nowhere that, that changed the world mm -hmm. from authors who've been told, no, no one wants to buy that book. I don't know how to categorize that book. Right. That book doesn't have a market. No one's ever bought a book like that. Well, that's the neat thing about creativity is, is, is the creative person can invent something that doesn't exist. Yep. Every author knows this. Every writer knows this. Mm -hmm. and, and if there's a market for it, the market will find it. Yeah. Exactly. And one of the things that I have always really, you know, respected about Smashwords, especially in later in later years, is that while other companies are looking for opportunities to take things away from the authors, Smashwords has been looking for opportunities to constantly give to the authors and basically give more incentive to get them involved with Smashwords. So now you have one, you know, one big thing that I, you know, like I'm thrilled about is find away voices. Tell us about how that got uh, got got together. So find away voices is a company that produces and distributes audiobooks. And um, I remember, you know, I've, I've always had an interest in audiobooks, and we've had people encouraging us to get into the audiobook market. But I was, th you know, my attitude was always, you know, we're experts in eBooks audiobooks is something different and you know there are already people out there doing that so I wasn't so interested but I got a call from one of the executives at Apple really a they Apple, were the ones, huh? Apple 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 books and um, you know basically for for I don't know, it was maybe at least a decade Apple had signed some kind of exclusive deal with Amazon that they were only going to sell books from Amazon's audible division right but that agreement was coming to an end, which was going to free up Apple to start, you know, doing audiobooks on their own and audiobooks from other suppliers. Mm -hmm. And so Apple said, look, we're working with this company, Findaway Voices, and we'd like you to talk to them. Ah. And now, Findaway Voices had already been chasing us for the prior three years. Really? But when Apple, when Apple said, okay, we'd like you to do this, 
when, now all of a sudden you have a market. Yeah. You know, when, there, when they ask us to jump, to, yeah. we ask how high. Right. And, and, um, and so we engaged with Find Away Voices in that way and, and really proud of the integration that we created with them. We make we it's integrated into our publishing workflow. So yeah. you, you publish your your ebook at Smashwords, which is really easy. And then once your book is at Smashwords, we give you an option to click a button and have your book transferred over to Findaway. And and once they have your ebook, they know how many words it is, and they can automatically start estimating, you know, what it would cost to produce the book. Uh, if Given the different prices for different narrators, different packages, yeah, and then the the, the author can start interviewing narrators. Yep, and yeah, so you know that's been in place for about a year and a half now, I guess. You say it's been going well. Um, I I think it, it we've had I think over a thousand authors. I don't know what the exact number is, but we've had a lot of books created through Findaway. That's excellent. I think I think we're still in the very early days of this. One of the challenges for self-published authors with audiobooks, obviously, is that the author has to finance yeah. the production, and that's a big investment. You know, it can be several thousand dollars, and uh, you know, it's that's that's a lot of money. Yeah, but it, now, granted, that's like high end. You know, like I mean, yeah. uh, there is there are other you know there are other people you know like and speaking from experience, myself included, you know that uh, that are able to, you know, produce an audiobook at a substantially lower rate. Right. But at the same time, when an author is dealing with a low to no budget, you know, and you know, they it when limits. they they have to pinch their pennies, you know, like as they say here. You know, they, yeah. that's they need to get lucky and find someone like George <laughs> um, who's going to be able to do a quality affordable job for them. Um, but the day is going to come where you're so big and so popular and so famous that yeah. you're not going to be available to, to lend your services to everyone. Well, that would that would be nice, though. I would I would have to say that. <laughs> well, it'd be nice for <laughs> you, nice, but, yeah. but not so nice for the person that can't afford the other people. True. And has to choose someone who's lower quality. Um, but but at the same it, time, though, there are there are people that are of you know they they may be of lower price. But not as much as lower quality. Like there's always yeah. like that, you know. As as soon as one is coming up, there's always someone else who's coming up right after them. Yeah, you so want to find that that that, yeah. that talented person that's just getting started, who's willing to do a deal, yeah, to put you on the resume, and yeah. So you know, I, and the audiobook market is really exciting to me. The audiobook market is the fastest growing segment of the publishing industry. Um, it's quite possible, you know, within the next three, four, five years that the audiobook market is larger than the ebook market. Yeah. One of the neat things about audiobooks is that it opens up more time for enjoying books. Yes. The time you're stuck in the car, just like podcasting. Yep. Uh, time you're, you know, in the car, doing your morning commute, doing your morning exercise, gardening, washing dishes. It, all this new time is now available to you to enjoy books. So audiobooks are awesome. So with that in mind, you know, like you said that they're, you know, they have them in their car. Obviously, there are other places that, you know, that allow you to, you know, download and play audiobooks. Um, is there an app for Findaway that they uh, that, that they have where audiobooks are available for people to? I don't think they have an app. Is it just or is it just from you know getting it from like the retailer, like say iTunes? Yeah. What, what Findaway is going to do is they're going to assist with the production of a book. Right. They'll help connect you with narrators professional narrators let you decide who you want to hire yeah and then they'll manage the pro professional production and the editing of the book 
And then they'll distribute the quality control. Yeah. Quality control. Yeah. uh, And then they'll get the book distributed to these different sales outlets. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And you know, another neat thing about our relationship with Findaway is that, you know, if if you go through Smashwords to reach Findaway, you're going to make exactly the same uh, royalty rate as if you go direct to Findaway. So it's just it's a big convenience for our authors, for our hundred thousand plus authors who you know. Hundred thousand plus authors, like yeah. that is that, that's considering how you know, like how it all started. That's such a terrific, that's such a terrific climb right up there to have that many, that many authors and more and growing. I would think we're adding more authors every day. Yep, and more books every day. Yeah, yeah. But I would say also every day the business becomes more and more challenging. Right. Um, when we launched Smashwords eleven years ago, there was nothing like us. Right. We were first of the kind. Yep. When we opened Barnes and Noble and Sony for the first time to self-published eBooks, there was only one way to get your book there. Yeah. But now there are literally hundreds of competitors. Yeah. There are hundreds of Smashwords clones out there. Yep. And not going to name their names, but they're just everywhere. They know who they are. Yeah, they know <laughs> who they are. And, and it's created a much more confusing environment for authors. Um, and at the same time, the retailers are now offering their own self-publishing platforms yep. so that you, you don't even have to work with a distributor. You can work directly with the retailer if you want, if you don't want to pay us our 10%. Right. So, you know, even our our partners, the companies that we've devoted, you know, millions of dollars to supporting and helping, um, you know, they're, they're stealing our authors or trying to. Trying to, yeah. Yeah. But I think like a, um, one real big advantage that you have is that you're, you and Smashwords are always thinking of different ways that you can entice the the, the authors to stay, or you know, like, or keep you know, or cross over, you know, to yeah. You have to in this in really any industry, yeah. you've got to constantly be innovating. You cannot rest on your laurels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, my background is in startups, supporting startups, helping launch startups, going back to PR or going back to my dad or going back to selling my eggs. Right. Door to door. My my view is that even after your company's well, we're eleven years old, I still feel like we're a startup. Yeah, we have we we need to hold on to that. We need to continue to innovate, um, and we are. You know, we listen very carefully to our authors, what they want, what they love about us, what they hate about us. We're always, you know, every single week we are um, making improvements yeah. to Smashwords. We're 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 publishing new code every mm-hmm. single week. Uh, and some of it is obvious and some of it's kind of behind the scenes, incremental stuff. But we're always, you know, doing stuff to try to support our authors and help them be more successful. I'm looking forward to it, too, because I have um, uh, just recently since From Parts Unknown has been redone, refashioned into the big omnibus edition. So it's got, you know, like all five parts in one book. I'm happy to report that it's um, that by the time you hear this, it's going to be available to buy on Smashwords. So by all means, please go over there and take a look at it. Um, do you have any, uh, cons- speaking of other authors, do you have any advice that you can uh, give for them? I know you have like a, like a whole lot of different secrets, which are amazing. I'm not going to ask you to get into them, you know, like right now, but at the same time, like if you can give like one good, like nugget of advice to aspiring authors who are, think they have you know some sort of idea 
but aren't quite sure what to do with it once they have it out on the page. What do you have for them? Join a local writer's group. Yeah. That should be the first thing you do. There are writer's groups all around the country, all around the world. Get together with your fellow tribes people. Yeah. Because no one will understand what you're going through like another writer. And, Amen to that. And, and writers are so supportive of one another. Yeah. You can learn from them. Um, you know, once your book, as you're getting ready, as you're writing the book, you know, writers groups are really good about, you know, helping each other, running critique groups, being able to stand up in front of the group and read portions of your book and receive, you know, positive critical feedback. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Getting to hear stories. Often writers groups have, um, you know, expert speakers come in every month and uh, share their wisdom. So you just be a sponge, learn as much as you can. Uh, nothing's more important than the craft. Yeah. So always focus on the craft. A lot of authors, a lot of self-published authors make the mistake of focusing too much on the business of publishing. Like, you know, how do I market? How do I advertise the book? Right. And, and you know, what's, the, what's working now? Um, you know, what should I be doing? What's the shiny object that I should be chasing? <laughs> and that distracts from what really matters. Yeah. What really matters are professional publishing best practices. And I've written three books on those topics. Um, you know, best practices are the, the uh, are you know, the the things that make your book more available, more discoverable, more desirable, and more enjoyable to readers. Yeah. And there's not just one single magic bullet that will catapult you to bestsellerdom. There are literally dozens of things that the writer needs to do right, and that you constantly need to innovate and iterate on those because the world's always changing. Yeah. So you always want to make everything you're doing better and better and better. So, I mean, the same thing about my philosophy about writing Smashwords should be your philosophy as a writer that you, you can't just stay in a stasis. You, you always keep pushing. Always yeah. keep pushing yourself to be a better and better writer. You know, as I talked about in my sessions today, a good book isn't good enough anymore. Yeah. If, if you want people to read your book, you need to take them to an emotionally satisfying extreme. You need to rock their world yeah. to change their life and luckily most writers are the most visionary passionate excited people that you're ever going to meet mm -hmm. um, and, and I mean, writers have a vision in their head yeah. for how they want their words their stories to touch people to touch their emotions to inspire them to make them feel things see things learn things there's so much you can do with fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. And so writers are visionary people and, yeah. and um, inspiring people. I mean, they, I find so much inspiration from writers. I, I have so much admiration for anyone yeah. who can complete a book, mm -hmm. especially after being through it, going through it myself. It, it is one of the toughest yeah. things you can ever do, but it's also one of the most pleasurable, enjoyable, satisfying things that you can do. Even if you never sell a single copy of the book, there, there's, there's something... It's that celebration that you've, you've accomplished it, that yes. feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. That it, so many people don't do. They always say that they want to do it. They always say they have one in mind. They say yes. like, every, you know, oh, I, got, I have like this book in me. You have to get it out in order for it to be something. You have to get it out. And, you know, it, it is a big task to say, okay, I'm going to write a 100,000 word novel. Yeah. 
or a 200,000 word epic fantasy novel or whatever. Yeah. Um, I would encourage, you know, you or people out there listening who want to publish a book someday, start with short stories. Yeah. Uh, it, hone your craft mm-hmm. because it, just because a short story is shorter doesn't mean it's necessarily easier. Right. Uh, it'll take less time than a 100,000 word novel, but... Um, you know, try to write short, short stories. Try to sell that short story to one of the magazines or, or zines or websites that publish those. Yeah. And, and keep writing. The more you write, uh, the more feedback and critique you get, uh, the, the better writer you're going to become. And just plan on becoming a better writer every single day. I mean, what I've found, you know, I've been writing most of my life. PR involved a lot of writing. Yeah. And what I've found is that... Um, Certain parts of writing get easier over time. Yeah. But the part that doesn't get easier is achieving that satisfaction of knowing that you did your best. Yeah. Because the more you write and the more you edit, the pickier you get about your writing. Mm-hmm. And, and I've talked with other writers, they say the same thing. Just being a writer and going through that process, it changes you. It changes how you speak. It changes how you read. Mm-hmm. Um, Changes how you view the world. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does. Uh, so you know, it's all a, it's all a process. Excellent. And um, if um, if anyone was to look for you on social media, obviously they can find you on Smashwords itself. Can they find you at all, like on social media? At yeah, all? yeah. So I'm I'm on Twitter. It's Mark Coker, M A R K C O K E R. So at Mark Coker. I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find me facebook.com forward slash Mark Coker. I think I got that. Yep. Um, I'm on there. Um, my email address is mc at smashwords.com. I'm always happy to hear from anyone who's interested in publishing. Um, I can't be your personal support person, but I can certainly point you in the right direction. And I, you know, I just like to help people, you know, continue down this path because, you know, all of us need someone who's going to be willing to stand there and lend a helping hand to help you know, on those first steps. Yep, absolutely. They say in in the in the in this world in this writing community, when one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. Yes. And um, and I couldn't think of a better person to who illustrates that more than Mark Coker, because um, not only not only does he provide the platform for so many people to get discovered, he not only gives you the stage. But he also gives you so many different tools that you need to succeed. And it's something that I really think that more people would definitely benefit from from, from going to smashwords.com, from getting their uh, for getting their account set up, uploading their work, and seeing what, what happens. Because um, I have nothing but admiration for the man for everything that he's done in this in this business. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. And so, we've got something. Oh, we got. Do we have a scoop? Coming. Do we have a scoop? <laughs> it's a pre pre scoop without the scoop. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, we are working on something that um, we're probably going to launch in the next month or two. Oh. Okay. Um, so this will probably be out by the t- you know like by closer around the time when this comes out. Okay. Just letting you know. So it's going to be out, like, say, mid-October. So, or Okay, or earlier. Oh. Um, we're teasing it right now. If you go to smashwords.com forward slash next, 
next. N-E-X-T. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so we're, we're creating something that I think is going to change how authors launch books. Oh, wow. And it's going to be patent pending. So we're working oh. on the patent application right now. And um, I can't tell anyone, not even all not even all Smashwords employees, only a few Smashwords employees know about this. It oh is my. so top secret. Yeah. Um, but once we file for the patent, we can start talking about it. Excellent. And what we're going to launch, it's already coded. It's ready. It's going to be a feature at Smashwords. And... It represents the first iteration of a audacious, ambitious plan that is pretty crazy. Nice, um, and and we welcome that. You know, yeah. as the community, you well, know, we, we definitely yeah. welcome that. You know, as a community, you know, because I, I've got to say, I'm concerned as a community. You know, I talked about how 10, 11 years ago, the challenge was just getting access yeah. to retail, and and self-publishing made it possible for authors to become their own publishers. Ebooks made it possible for authors to get distribution. Mm -hmm. um, but I fear right now that the independence that authors uh, have enjoyed over yeah. the last 10 years um, is being taken away. Yes. And you know, I, in, in my podcast, Smart Author, I did an episode where I, it was my favorite episode of all my episodes, where I looked at the history of um, publishing going back to, um, I traced the roots of self-publishing back to the Gutenberg printing press. Oh, wow. And the went down a total rat hole just yeah. studying that, but it was fascinating. And one thing I realized is that through all time, since the introduction of the Gutenberg printing press, there have always been forces, whether the forces are political, mm -hmm. uh, religious, societal, or commercial forces that seek to control the printing press, seek to control what people publish, what people think, Mm -hmm. what people know and yeah. you know publishing is so important we take so much of this for granted yeah but free expression cannot be taken for granted absolutely and it's it's something that's you know core to my belief i think it's core to really modern society that people need the freedom to express themselves um and so throughout history there have always been different attempts at censorship to censor yeah. the printing press to control it Starting with Gutenberg, right? You know, he upset the Catholic Church. He, it was the printing press that enabled Martin Luther to start the Protestant Reformation. I mean, and mm -hmm. so I talked about all that, and um, it's just fascinating. And we're we're to a point now where um, there are new forms of censorship, yeah, being introduced, new barriers uh, that are preventing uh, writers from publishing with total freedom, and. You know, I started Smashwords as an author to enable free expression, and um, this is going to be my attempt to reestablish author independence. And it's um, it's going to be difficult to pull off mm -hmm. because we're a small company, yeah, and we don't have unlimited resources. Yep. Um, but if if authors get behind this, I think it's going to help authors. Um, you know take back their independence and build a platform that they control Excellent. so that, that so that you never have to be at the mercy of a retailer yeah um okay wow okay now now like i'm even more excited about the possible about the future of smashwords than i than i was before so it, it, this 
this is um, it is ambitious what we're going to yeah. try to pull off in the vision. Uh, not everyone's going to be able to see the patent because it doesn't become publicly published for a year and a half after we file it. Right. So we're not even going to be able to reveal everything about this, but we're, we're going to be able to reveal enough that I think it's going to change the industry. Yeah. At least I hope it does. I, it, you know, in my mind, you know, uh, it's flattering to hear everything that you said so kind about myself and about Smashwords. Um, the opportunity to positively impact the world, I think, is um, just as great with this idea yeah. if we can execute on it. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, as someone who knows how difficult it is to run a business, you know, to, and how easy it is for businesses to fail, um, this big idea could fail spectacularly for us. And, if it, you know, if it fails, um, that would be really sad because, uh, you know, authors are going to continue to lose their independence if it doesn't succeed. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, by all means, I'm telling you guys, you definitely want to get involved with Smashwords. If you are, you know, just an author who's up and coming, who is, you know, not sure about the next step that they are going to go, go in, just check out Smashwords.com, check it out, you know, like, see what Mark has left for all of us. You got a friend in him, and you have a supporter of our business, you have somebody who wants us all to succeed. And that's something that that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to hear in this day and age. So um, this has been just a, an amazing chat that, you know, that I've that I've had with you, Mark. And this has been I hope has um, all of you have, have enjoyed this just as much as I have. So for Mark Coker, CEO of Smashwords, this is George Soroy saying to all of you ever upward. I'll see you next week.